Hello and welcome to the Education and Training Foundation podcast and the third in the series on professionalism. My name is Paul Tully, Professionalism Manager at the ETF, and I'm talking to teachers and managers from the sector about their professional practice. Now, this series offers a celebration of what is best in the sector, as well as signposting opportunities for change and reflection. Today's podcast will look at expertise. And to help me explore this topic, I'm joined by Kate Hazelgrove from the University of Derby. Good afternoon, Kate. Hello, Paul. Thanks for having me here. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, really good to have you. Tell us something about your career in the FE sector to date, Kate. At the moment, I'm a post 14 FE and skills lecturer at the University of Derby. I'm also external examiner at a couple of universities, so it's really nice to see how the programmes are running in different places and um, how our teachers of tomorrow are, are being prepared for our well learners of tomorrow as well. And I also do a bit of freelance work as a writer, mentor, trainer, generally with touch consulting on ETF programmes like okay. AP Connect and CFEM. So quite, quite a, a multivariate career to date, Kate. That's yeah. great because we're going to be drawing on those experiences for this podcast. Well, this episode builds on a model of professionalism that was first introduced in June 2021 in the Society for Education and Training's Intuition Journal. Here, three ingredients were outlined for creating a professional culture inside FE institutions. Teacher research projects, which build expertise and confidence. Teaching circles, which value peer dialogue, support and collaboration. And 360 degree appraisal, in which feedback is used to strengthen an individual's purpose and development. We turn our attention today to expertise often cited by researchers and teachers as one of the single most important aspects of excellent teaching. But what do we mean by expertise? Why is it important? And should we spend more time developing it? These are questions we shall be looking at in this session. Let's kick off, Kate. What do we mean by expertise? To be an expert in a subject is to be able to understand it well enough to describe it, I suppose, if I'm thinking about teacher training, and to demonstrate it in a, in a multiple of ways. So if you were to ask me what an expert is, in teaching it's kind of threefold as far as I'm concerned you are an expert in your subject or industry but in order to be an expert teacher you also need to be an expert in pedagogy as well and with regards to sort of the emotional intelligence side and pastoral care so I suppose expertise is drawing all the skills you need together in order to provide a service or or support in a certain area I suppose Okay, I mean, I mean that might include things like knowledge uh, and skills, um, techniques, uh, curriculum know-how. So perhaps a range of things that we might um, bucket under the label expertise. But when we're talking about it, but why does it matter in teaching? Well, I mean, in order to be able to to teach a subject, like I say, you need to know it back to front. You need to know where the misconceptions lie in order to be able to identify stumbling points with students. Or being an expert means that you can describe it in more than one way some of the issues that I do see regularly with teachers who perhaps aren't sort of experts as yet is where they explain something to a student the student doesn't understand and they repeatedly explain it in the same way mm -hmm. because they're not mm -hmm. quite sure um, how to how to change the way that they're approaching it perfect example is a vocational teacher trying to teach maths they know how they do it but they don't have that subject knowledge that expertise in maths in yes. order to be able to uh, work out how to get it across to that student. Do you think that expertise gives um, a, a teacher more weapons or more choices to make in terms of dealing with a particular situation? Well, absolutely. I mean, for a start, it makes a teacher feel more confident. 
that they know how to approach certain situations. Okay. Well, let's let's have a look at what the literature says. The literature states that an expert is someone widely recognised as a reliable source of knowledge, technique or skill. And here the debate between talent and practice is at its most intense. Now, you might have heard of this um, researcher, Kate, in your teacher training, um, Anders Ericsson and his colleagues who formally investigated the role of deliberate practice in expert performance in 1993. And he came up with that magic 10,000 hours or 10 years of practice needed to become an expert. Ericsson stated that expertise was acquired through sustained intentional practice. And he pointed to elite sportsmen, concert violinists and chess grandmasters as examples. Kate, in your role as a teacher trainer and learner, learning coach. Do you take anything away from Ericsson's work and is it useful in your view? As a university our vision is to develop the excellent teachers of the 21st century and I think that in itself shows an appreciation for how long it actually takes to become an excellent teacher. I think within the year of, of development I know that um, the, uh, the government is looking at increasing those hours of uh, practical experience on placement but I do think you can leave teacher training as a really brilliant teacher but it takes experience, professional development, opportunities for feedback which Ericsson talks about in order to really develop your skills as a teacher so I think that's kind of how I would relate it to teacher training. So in your role as a teacher trainer and learning coach what do you take away from Ericsson's work? Um, Well I do believe that uh, becoming an expert in your practice takes an awful lot of professional development and engagement in that kind of task or or skill. Continual practice as well. So practicing, getting the feedback, which he talks a lot about in his study. But we talk about at university, our vision being creating excellent teachers of tomorrow. So developing first class uh, professionals Mm. who can inspire and lead kind of tomorrow. I mean, it does actually say in the 21st century, but it doesn't mean in 10 years time, you know. So arguably, I think, yes, the, to the 10,000 hours with regards to practising what you want to become an expert in or a professional in. But also, I do think that you can be a really, really excellent teacher right from the get go, maybe after your year of, of development with regards to placement and mm. uh, delivery on the course. So yes to lots of practice, but no to, to 10,000 hours. I think that's a little excessive, personally. Um, it's one of those things, isn't it? You know, as a teacher trainer... You've got trainees coming in. There's a limited time in the classroom to spend with them talking about both theories and techniques and reflections on practice. Uh, Certainly in my experience, sometimes you get trainees who expect an an instant development of their expertise and and they miss that point about practice. But it does take time and effort and intensity sometimes to to master something and 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 Jeff Petty was always talking about this you know sometimes it takes up to maybe sort of 20 goes at something before you yeah. can really feel that you're on top of it or that you've mastered something I mean in your experience do you, do you feel that some trainees do struggle with that notion that they they can't be an outstanding teacher by you know next week so to speak Yeah, absolutely. We've just done some mentor training and we talk a lot about how the theory comes with the practice and the practice comes with the theory. And they've got to be completely interlinked in order for that student to progress. Mm, Um, An awful lot of them come along incredibly passionate about their subject. They think everybody's going to want to learn about it, too, because they're so enthusiastic. But it takes that practice to identify those areas for development or those barriers to learning or barriers to teaching, which you don't get from from not having that experience basically 
Absolutely. I mean, Ericsson may or may not feature in some of our um, teacher training plans. I mean, he's an example who uh, a, a recent researcher who's tried to look at the psychological evidence uh, and consider what we need uh, in order to become an expert and why expertise is important. We know that Ericsson made two observations about deliberate practice. The first was to set explicit goals accompanied by immediate feedback. Ericsson believed this was best done with a skilled coach or teacher. I think that's important, that the teacher is an, a very important role in the development of expertise. And, and for teachers, perhaps we're talking about mentors and coaches. And the second was to offer opportunities to repeat the task after a period of reflection. And I think that's important as well, that simply to reflect without any further practice is perhaps doing the trainee a disservice. They need to go back and relook at something and redo something. Learning how to reflect on, on your practice is actually part of, part of the course, really, isn't it? It's not just that you do it as an assignment. Being a reflective practitioner is how you become an excellent practitioner because you do something, you think about it, and then you try it again and, and try to make it better. Absolutely right. And, um, and and certainly the role of feedback. And that's where you know an experienced mentor, an experienced teacher for a trainee can be really, really important. And, and feedback that we found in, in the research on professionalism is also important to the experience of professionalism. Research indicates that it can signal appreciation for a teacher's performance, which has implications for how we might manage teachers on a day-to-day -day basis. And certainly, Kate, you know when you are in feedback situations with tra trainees, they find it exceptionally useful, do they not, in receiving high quality feedback, it's precision feedback that's looking at specific things. I mean, I don't know if you've got any examples from your you know, recent experience about how you've used feedback. Well, for a start, we ensure that our feedback is developmental and not judgment, judgmental. And we've recently picked this apart with the trainees so that they know exactly what they should be expecting and so that they can kind of challenge it if they're not getting that developmental feedback. So for us, yeah, feed, feedback needs to be incredibly specific, uh, but also highlighting the areas of strength so that students know what to repeat, but as well as those areas for development so that they can see why something hasn't worked, perhaps indicating, you know, the theory behind that. Scaffolding seems to be quite a common one where they, they Absolutely. to use that. Yeah. And, and we have to pick apart why it, why it might not have worked, what steps they might have missed. I think some important points there and certainly the point that earlier that you made about 10,000 hours. I mean, expertise may indeed denote superior performance, but teachers are not necessarily striving for world class performance every time they set foot in the classroom, despite sometimes what trainees would like to do. Sometimes it's just simply not realistic. And while 10,000 hours may be the model for global superstardom, actually, for most teachers, they're simply looking to get better over much shorter time frames. But there is there is a baggage to that term expertise, Kate, isn't there? That that sense of elitism. Um, do do you get that sense? I mean, what, what does the term potentially imply for you? I mean, I can see there are dangers linked linked to the word. As you know, at what level do you claim to be an expert in relation to teacher ed? Level three in a subject is where you can be deemed an expert. But then in other scenarios, you might not be deemed an expert until you've got a PhD or you know or beyond. Which kind of brings us back to that level of experience for the 10,000 mm. hours. So 10,000 hours makes you an expert or, or can you be an expert before that with regards to being an excellent teacher? Because you've you've had that practice, you've, you've really engaged in that development and you've got teachers who've done it for 10,000 hours and who haven't engaged in development. And that means that they aren't brilliant at that, at that they're not an expert. I'd also say there's, there's a bit of fear of, of labelling yourself as an expert. Absolutely. Um, 
so frame of reference is important and you know thinking about the domain of practice on which the label expertise is applied i think that's important as well and 10,000 hours may be great to describe the practice of a concert violinist and in fact ericsson later said that actually it was more likely to be 25,000 hours and higher you know those kinds of time scales are are, are literally very difficult to comprehend from a trainee's perspective who's sitting on a teacher training course looking to pick up you know the first signs of, of techniques the first knowledge you know a first sense of becoming a, a teacher and expertise for them is simply mastering perhaps something a lot more simple let me go on researchers indicated that fe teachers are reluctant to call themselves experts because it sounds elitist and because it flies in the face of lifelong learning it's exactly what kate's just been talking about how can one be an expert if one is always learning and despite this tension ericsson believed expertise was essential to improvement and flagged the importance of coaches mentors and other critical friends as the catalyst that could explain this now listeners i refer to the ets ap connect program mentoring training and advanced teacher status as examples of where the development of expertise has been prioritized kate you've got experience of the ap connect program have you haven't you not uh, i certainly have um i've been um, a participant and i work on the kind of the back end of, of ap connect as well okay in your view what's the relationship between expertise and professionalism well in order to work professionally you've got to be confident and current in your knowledge um, and skills which relate to your expertise so as a teacher it's how you gain credibility by being an expert and therefore knowing the best ways to teach learners your subject as well as overcome any misconceptions in the learning of that subject. I had a little uh, look at the professional standards before uh, I came to do this okay. and uh, look at where exactly they include expertise and there's an entire section that's linked to expertise and professional skills and that section lists the core skills of a teacher so motivation, assessment, inclusion, quality and so on which suggests that developing expertise is absolutely essential towards the professionalism of a teacher. Absolutely. I mean, that's important, isn't it, to have some of those things captured within uh, our framework on professional standards, which we'll talk about in a, in a future podcast episode. Certainly in my own research in the post-16 sector, subject expertise was regarded as the single most important attribute of professionalism, even more important, actually, than teaching qualifications, though both of those were valued. But more generally, expertise was found to inspire trust, empower judgment and install teacher confidence. Are we doing enough to support the development of teachers' subject expertise? What's your thoughts about that, Kate? I'd say maybe not. It's hugely central to our programme at Derby. Um, we talk a lot about pedagogical content knowledge, Shulman's theory on pedagogy and understanding the pedagogy that relates directly to your subject and therefore sure. being able to identify misconceptions and know how to overcome them. So we do a lot of work towards that on programme subject specialist mentors which you mentioned earlier we have subject specialist pathways identified subject specialist tutorials you can see it's, it's incredibly high on our list and we've recently been exploring subject specialist networks for further education of which we have not found many at all there's plenty for kind of english maths esol mm. loads and loads but when you come to the subject specialisms like sport there's a couple and um, there's the odd linkedin network on on um hospitality for instance so yes I'd, I'd say no we're not doing enough across well, the country or uh, you know through different yeah. training providers so in order to create successful subject specialism networks we, we need to find a wicked problem and i can give a couple examples of that so a wicked problem as far as i understand is something that, that hasn't got an answer yet nobody's worked out how to deal with it so um 
English and maths managers, there's an awful lot of subject specialist networks that link to English and maths because we started with um, conditions of funding, meaning that we had thousands of students sitting um, mm. GCSE and functional skills, which meant that English and maths managers had a wicked problem. We all had the same problem. So we all came together and we tried to work it out. JoyFE is another perfect example. So during the pandemic, we all had the problem of one, our mental health and well-being as teachers mm. and two, how we were going to deal with um, being teachers in further education during the pandemic. So we all had this wicked problem which brought us all together. So in order to develop, I'd say you could say the same about STEM, you could say the same about CFEM. Um, CFEM, the issue being how do we raise achievement in maths? Because at the moment, nobody's worked it out yet. Centre so, for Excellence in English and Maths, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. So in order to create successful subject specialist networks, we need to identify what the wicked problem is for that subject specialism so that it draws people in and they want to actually engage in this in this network, which is, I think, where it's fallen down so far is that people just say, hey, let's talk about our subject in this area. Well, why would you why would you invest your time in that? So that's that's what I think we need to do in order to develop those networks in FE particularly. And I think that's a lesson, I think, for all um subject networks and and for organizations that offer those including the etf which is to actually find where these wicked problems exist in different pockets of practice so that we can ask the questions that people are asking at the front line uh, and and solve them as a community so that's a brilliant point that you've made there what do trainees do you think get from those networks what what, what are you advising them um, to get from that when you ask them to attend those so at the moment we've we've not necessarily asked them to attend we've asked them to identify them and the ones that we want them to find are the ones that they can treat as almost a staff room so yes you've got your subject specialist networks when you where you can attend training and it's that kind of formal training where nationally we're addressing a certain um, issue but for our trainees it's it's about finding somewhere to talk about the issues that are coming up in your subject and how to overcome them that's what we're looking for and, and to share that passion I think that that's an interesting set of developments there because it's it seems to mirror something that Professor Jocelyn Robson was writing about um, perhaps more than two decades ago. Um, Jocelyn Robson, who um, I think believe is still active in the area of professionalism research, um, believed that we could do more to support teacher subject expertise. She felt it was essential to a healthy teacher identity. Now, that work seems to have picked up again in the last four to five years. Uh, this call has now been taken seriously by um, Professor Kevin Orr, for example, and colleagues who have explored subject pedagogy for STEM teachers, published on behalf of the Gatsby Foundation, um, and papers can be found on their website. The ETF's T-Level Professional Development Programme uh, provides a, a national example where CPD is supporting teachers to upskill their subject knowledge and skills. Now, the role of teaching qualifications, which is what we've been talking about um, earlier in supporting teachers' pedagogic knowledge and skills, has also been hotly debated. Now, you probably remember this, Kate, but in 2012, uh, the Lingfield Commission abolished statutory teacher training, which meant that FE teachers were no longer legally required to be qualified to teach, which was a controversial move, as, um, as, uh, as many would attest to, with critics echoing sociologist Philip Elliott's point that professions should not be the refuge of the unqualified. So, and as discussions around teacher training qualifications are now picking up again, let's consider that last point in more detail. Would you say that teaching qualifications help to develop teacher expertise? I think that's that's what they're kind of aimed to do entirely, actually. Um, having looked at the IT framework um, very recently, as things have changed, 
it talks about being designed to help training teachers take their first steps towards becoming experts and and you know that's right at the very beginning of the framework we explore evidence-informed teaching as i said pedagogical content knowledge and all elements covered in the professional standards so yes i would say teaching qualifications help develop teacher expertise and and in turn help them to become professionals and looking at these all these different sort of elements that we use all these different frameworks we use it's it's clear that it's not just about loving your subject there's so much more to it which is reflected in the, the training qualifications i would say absolutely and and certainly i think you've been alluding to this throughout your answers really that you know teacher qualifications are a place where trainees find their teacher identity absolutely. and it's not an, not an instant process it's one isn't it that um it develops in the classroom and it particularly develops out there when they're actually teaching and within the context of a of an expert mentor that can help guide uh, support and if necessary correct what they are doing to point them it, sorry, in the right direction that's okay. I think it also um, develops when they're allowed a safe space. So they're not only out there practicing. So by by taking away the professional qualification, they haven't got their own safe space in which to learn and to be the student who can make mistakes and come back and and identify how to how to develop in those areas. Well, that's a really good point, isn't it? I mean, having that safe space for new teachers, new maybe new to the further education and training sector, maybe even new to teaching their subject matter, having that space where you can make mistakes and perhaps ask questions and seek answers to some of the key issues that you're confronted with outside there, you know, in real time in, in the classroom. Teacher qualifications do provide that necessary space where you can make mistakes and it's okay isn't it to make mistakes i'm going to move on and and stay on that point about professional identity professor damien page at wolverhampton university produced an interesting account of construction teachers a few years ago who thought of themselves as builders first and teachers second so asking them to teach outside their specialism as a personal tutor for example or working in unfamiliar settings created huge anxiety and he concluded that teachers who consistently worked outside their subject specialism were more likely to develop feelings of failure as they felt exposed in situations that stretched their credibility Kate I mean how difficult in your view is it for teachers to work across a a range of programs some of which might be outside their original scope of expertise well i've seen it firsthand before i had children I, i've delivered training across the country on what we call promoting and developing english and maths within vocational subjects and with the huge uprise in the need for english and maths in further education with the changes to conditions and funding many vocational tutors were moved towards having to add english and maths toward uh, onto, onto their timetables and it caused huge amounts of, of fear and anxiety. Well, some good points there. And and certainly for some time now, which I think is what you, you've been recognising for those when, who you've been teaching English and maths, the further education and training sector has embraced a concept of dual professionalism, which recognises the twin importance of subject expertise and teaching skills. It's a popular description of the work of teachers with a strong vocational and technical focus, but equally it can apply to all teachers. Now, while some researchers have criticised it for being too simple, for others, dual professionalism positions expertise at the heart of teaching practice, now here expertise is considered a driver of new ideas and innovations okay you've specialized in the teaching of english and maths as you've talked about earlier and have supported many many teachers over the last few years so in that context what do expert teachers do differently to their less experienced colleagues 
I, I touched on it earlier with regards to applying the theory, uh, you know, the pedagogy that's suitable for that subject, but even your kind of generalised theory. So like I say, scaffolding, the less experienced teacher will, will attempt to do this, but not particularly hit every step that you need in order to scaffold something. And with regards to knowing how to deliver mis, uh, deliver things in different ways so that you, you can help with common misconceptions, you also find that they fail to um, check understanding at all points as well. So there's a, there's an off, I mean, there's, there's a common um, open question. Is everybody OK? OK, great, let's move on. But what about checking everybody's understanding at every single step so that they can move to that next bit? which is probably a kind of a good example, again, of, of a lack of sort of scaffolding and, and understanding of the theory and being able to apply that. Sure. In your experience of teaching English and maths and, and supporting teachers, because I know that, I mean, it, we, we met, didn't we, um, back we a did. few years um, on a joint on a joint CBD day. Was it at Barnsley? Some, at Barnsley was, College, yeah. It was yeah. somewhere like that. And we bumped into each other and, and you were supporting teachers in English and maths and I was doing something on outstanding teaching practice. Yeah, I remember so, when you when you design those sessions to improve the expertise of your teachers, many of whom have never taught English and maths before, what sorts of techniques and things that you do that you know work with building that expertise? So with vocational teachers, I tended to focus on a on a three-step programme. So first of all, we identified where English and maths were embedded, so where they naturally arose. Then we looked at how we could promote English and maths. So, right, you are using maths and English here. This is really important. Modelling that behaviour from the vocational teacher, because this was during the transition between the so the changes that came after the conditions of funding, sure. where students all of a sudden had to do English and maths. So the promoting was very important for that time. But then we'd look at how you can develop English and maths within your subject. So one part that was really important was was showing vocational tutors that they already did English and maths and that's quite a common sort of approach to it they are an expert within their subjects in the so in the English and maths that they need for their subjects and uh, they might not know how to how to deliver that to a, a, a student but they can certainly identify where English and maths come up and then go away and think right so if I need to do ratios how do I explain that to a student so breaking it down for them I would approach this very differently with an English subject specialist who wanted sure. to deliver GCSE English, for instance. But in that context, we look at that three stage programme. So embedding op opportunities to promote and then I'd, how to develop those skills. And again, that that practice that you've just identified there seems to resonate also with with researchers that have actually studied the nature of expertise, some of which um, is in the area of mathematics in particular and, and English in some papers, too. And I just want to just mention this particular researcher or said a, a couple of researchers who who've done some great work here. They chime with the work of Lloyd and Payne. Now, this goes back to 2012, so it's a bit dated, but they studied hairdressing teachers and found that subject expertise was mainly developed in three ways. First, by undertaking a real work placement or position. Second, by taking up training opportunities held by product suppliers. And third, and this is important, and I think you know, you've mentioned this uh, before, through collaborative learning and reflection within their institution. Now, this highlight John Bostock's point that opportunities for dialogue promote engagement and understanding of subject theory and what Shulman called pedagogic content knowledge, which is what you've, you mentioned earlier, Kate, or PCK for short, in which teachers learn techniques which are unique to their discipline. 
Um, certainly from the ETS perspective, it's responded to this research by investing in industry placements and collaborative networks to promote the development of teaching expertise and technical teaching. Uh, the Industry Insights Programme, for example, enables T-level teachers up to five days in an industry setting to update their subject knowledge. So for listeners that are interested in that, um, more details can be found on the ETF's website. So given all this, Kate, is there sufficient focus on developing teacher expertise in organisational CPD programmes? Now, I think that you've already kind of suggested that more could be done. But if you had a magic wand, what two or three changes would you instantly create that could develop further the importance of expertise? I think the the model of the OTLA projects and so outstanding teaching, learning and assessment and the CFEM um, approach, so uh, Centre for Excellence in Maths. These are, are the ETF excellent. projects, aren't they? Both Sorry. ETF just, projects, just yeah. Um, yep. So the OTLA project I've worked on as a mentor and engaged in as a participant and CFEM, I, I, I work with um, Touch Consulting from the back end on CFEM. I do a bit of sort of writing for them. Those models are absolutely brilliant because you identify an area for development within um, specifically within that topic. So it might be English, maths, digital skills. Then you look at a long term project on how to how to address it. It's an action research approach. I think if this was applied in colleges, this is what I tried to roll out in my old college when I was CPD and learning manager, where we looked at areas for development in regards to the professional standards mm. and they identified where they would like to develop in. And I think one key is choice for teachers not to be told what they need to improve on and then put on training for them to identify what they would like to, to train in. Two would be long term training as well. So not just a quick, oh, go on a day for stretch and challenge and then go and go and put it in your work go and go and put it in your teaching because they don't develop understanding there. Sure. They don't get any time for trial and error. And then, I mean, equally, the, the trainers that are internal to the providers, they actually need to be experts in the areas that they're delivering in. So you might get an advanced practitioner. I mean, the newest model of advanced practitioner seems to be pulling them all out of the subject specialist areas and making them central which means yes mm. more access for teaching learning assessment so the pedagogy side but then there's less access for your subject specialist knowledge PPCK. so if i could wave, wave a magic wand i'd have advanced practitioners subject specialists advanced practitioners in every department i would extend training so that there's room for trial and error and reflection and i would ensure that there's choice and that people are there's no deficit model people aren't being forced to engage in training that a quality team believe they need but what they're interested in and how they want to develop. That's three excellent points there and for those advanced practitioners and learning coaches who are listening in your role's absolutely crucial here to supporting and developing teachers expertise and your own expertise is also incredibly important as Kate's just been talking about because you're modelling uh, that expertise and you're providing uh, a role model for teachers to aspire to so that that type of role um, rather than being a cost overhead uh, in my experience sometimes it's looked upon as a cost overhead is actually an essential investment for organizations and I think that's hopefully Kate and I we, we, we would agree on that yeah absolutely I mean you can't improve if you don't invest and the advanced practitioners are key to um, being that that specialist that expert that can support others to become professionals and like like we mentioned earlier about that currency and developing confidence in your practice 
Absolutely. I mean, even across the Ofsted literature, particularly in the context of teacher training, developing one's subject and pedagogic expertise has been highlighted as really important. And it's this connection with quality that suggests expertise is a window on professionalism. OK, we've run out of time. Unfortunately, could have gone on for a long, lot longer. This brings us to an end to this podcast episode. Uh, a warm thank you to Kate Hazelgrove from the University of Derby for sharing her insights on expertise and how it can support a rejuvenated professionalism. Thank you, Kate. Thank you so much for having me, Paul. It's, it's been a delight. Thank you. Both subject expertise and pedagogic skills are important but it's the former that is often neglected in CPD programmes. We've also heard today that when this is considered, teachers feel empowered and motivated. Please check out our website for further information on available ETF programmes, many of which are offered free of charge. And if you want to know more about the T-level support on industry placements, subject networks or route-specific training, this can be found on the ETF's TLPD pages. Alternatively, you can contact me, Paul Tully, at paul.tully at etfoundation.co.uk for more information about today's podcast. If you would like to be a speaker on a future podcast, drop me a line. In the meantime, thank you for listening. To listen to other articles in this podcast series, please visit the SET website at set.et-foundation.co.uk and search under the CPD resources section. You can also find out lots of information about professionalism by visiting the ETF website at et-foundation.co.uk.